So let's open God's precious holy word to Galatians chapter 1. And now we're in verses 6 through 9. And from that passage, I want to bring a message that I call the distinctiveness of the gospel. Remember that the Apostle Paul has already started this by talking about his divine call and how God had divinely sent him uh, as the messenger to where he would go. And among the places where he had gone, uh, those places included the region of Galatia and of course these churches that were in the region of Galatia. So we're going to pick it up here. I don't have a particular outline. I just want to speak to the scriptures uh, as, we, as we read them here in verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul gets right down to business. There's really no congratulations in, in this letter. There's, there's, there's no endearment. Uh, Paul is, uh, is filled with uh, what you would call righteous indignation, I suppose. And so Paul says, I am astonished. Thomaso. That's a, I, I am, I, I can't believe it. Paul is saying, I can't believe it. It's like he's out of breath. He can't believe it. Someone informs him of what's happening uh, to the churches in Galatia. And it's like he loses his breath. He has to sit down and he says, what? And so he writes to them. And it's a pretty strong word. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting away from the one or from him. It's in the masculine, so the article could be from him. Uh, From the one having called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is actually not another. We'll stop there. You are so quickly deserting away. This is in the, 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 the word here that's, that's translated, uh, you are deserting. Uh, it's uh, a Greek word that's in, the, it's in what's called the middle reflexive. Here's what it means. You have begun a process of deserting the very doctrine of grace. You're in the process now, in the middle reflexive, that means that they've begun a process and that the Holy Spirit of God has stirred the Apostle Paul to write this letter of correction to the Galatians. So their their ears have been tickled or, or something about the situation has caused them to begin to look at salvation as though it had to have included in the process the works of the one being saved. So they had begun this process. This is something that they had introduced into the church. I know there have been times I remember in, uh, about three or four, three churches ago, I guess. I don't know. I won't get too specific here. Um, we had a group of people who uh, 
how shall I say this? They had, they had, they had a follower that they began to follow. And so he had them in home Bible studies on Thursday nights. Now they were following an error that was presented all the time back in those days on those uh, gospel networks. And they were, they, were, they were teaching things that they were alien doctrines. They weren't, they weren't doctrines. They, this, they would take a text out of context, which is always pretext. And so I had this group of people who wanted to introduce this kind of stuff into the church. Now, I was a young guy, um, but I knew this was wrong. And so I, taught, I spoke to the guy, happened to be a deacon in the church, who was one of the leaders of this, uh, this auxiliary Bible study that they were doing. They were trying to draw other people out of the church into this thing. And then they wanted to bring him into the church. And uh, they wanted to do things in worship service that, that we did not, we did not uh, condone. We just, it was, it was un- unbiblical, it's unscriptural for us in the day of the modern era of the church, post-canon scripture, okay? Now, talk to this guy and he told me that he was a prophet. And I said, now why don't, you, why don't you define this for me? I know what he was talking about because in Ephesians 4, if you look at the level of spiritual gifts, there were first apostles and then prophets and then evangelists and then pastors and teachers. And it was his belief that uh, to assert himself as a prophet would assert him above the local pastor of a church. And he had all this twisted belief and he began to grow his, grow his hair and his beard real long. He just really, he, he, I don't want to get too personal on how people look, but my daddy used to call people like that a haint. Uh, I don't know, I don't know where he got that word, but he the man, he looks like a haint. Well, the reason it was, I mean, people can come in like that and they could have lived like that all their lives. I'm not going to make fun of the way people look. But this guy was doing it with an ulterior motive. He didn't, you know, this, he had always been a, should I say clean cut? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to walk a thin line here, but to make a point. Uh, and and he, started, he started doing weird stuff during the, during the worship, and then he would, you could tell that other people were <laughs> beginning to make this conscious movement into other things. And so I had to preach against this from the Bible, and I lost some people. And I, I declare, I got in the flesh, I guess, I used to stand at the door and tell people goodbye when they left, you know. I can't do that now, I'd catch everything, I guess. But I'd shake everybody's hand and hug people and all this kind of stuff. If they hugged, they hugged. Um, but uh, this guy stopped the whole line, this great prophet. And he, he started asserting his belief and how I was in error. 
And of course, I was loaded for bear because I was, I've been preaching on this thing. And I started preaching and, and t- talking to him with regard to the Greek texts that he was taking out of context, asking him if he understood how the subtext related to the greater text of the whole meaning of, of the epistle or whatever it was he was. And so I walked him down and I thought I was going to hit the guy. I got so mad. I have to, I'm, it's a confession. I was young and I was full of spit and fire. And I got, I went down, man, we, we went down, I was in his face right down the, and I was, finally I came myself and I looked back and all my people hadn't come out. I thought, well, I'm going to go back into the clothing business, I guess. That's, I just lost my cool. Uh, I had people really thank me for it, uh, frankly. Uh, but I told him, you know, I said, you're crazy. You look crazy. You talk crazy. Something's how you've snapped. And if you can't get it back together, you know, let me tell you what this guy did. He cut his hair, shaved his beard, joined the other Baptist church down the road and became a model church member after that. All I can say is the rebuke had its worth. And the word of God straightened him out. And he came to him. I thank God for it. He came to himself. And some of these other people really were in confusion and they spoke with me about it. And this thing, this thing was, uh, was straightened out just by the scripture. Nothing else. Not, I wasn't going to pull out somebody's commentary we just went to, the, we went to the basic text of the scripture, the way the apostles laid it out. Now, with all of that said, I sort of understand what's happening here, although the circumstances are a little different. In this case, and as a matter of fact, it's, it's, it's talked about in Acts chapter 15 because there were Pharisees who had become believers, they, got, they came into the church, but they couldn't accept the gospel as it's given in the scriptures. So, so what, is, what is the basic gospel? Well, here it is. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's it. It's Christ alone, and the fifth part of that is that in the scriptures, it comes to us by the word of God. And so from the scriptures alone, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Now these guys had come from Jerusalem. Remember this, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James wrote probably the first epistle of the New Testament. It's a strong and direct epistle. And he talks about the need for works in the life of a Christian believer, which indeed salvation brings with it the spirit who gifts us. And there's a, there's a, there's a package in there for you from the Holy Spirit that would be called your gifts. And in Christ, those things just come out. You can't really stop it. It's just, and you don't even realize you're exercising those gifts in Christ. You don't think about it. So these guys were coming as though they were sent from James. 
from the church at Jerusalem, and they were called Judaizers, and they were saying, hey, all these Gentile men, they're going to have to be, they're going to have to be circumcised. They're going to, you're going to have to get into the law of Moses before you can become a Christian. Now, that's the very argument that they made in Acts chapter 15. Well, then in the King James language, it says in Acts 15, there was no small stir among the brethren. There was a heavy commotion and discussion. And Peter took the floor. And to summarize what Peter said, he said, listen, brethren, I was there when the Gentiles were saved in the same way that we were. You see, in the early church, Peter was brought into those places like when the half Jew was saved in Samaria and then the Gentile, the, uh, the, 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 the centurion, you know, uh, when they were saved, Peter was called to be there and he witnessed in that early apostolic day how, how God showed that they were saved in the receiving of the Holy Spirit. He said, I saw this with my own eyes. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a witness that they were saved in the same way that we were saved. And they didn't have to go through any other kind of ritual. They were saved by God. And we saw as the apostles in the early church, we saw in their lives what happened on the day of Pentecost. And so this is, this is the will of God that the gospel now is confirmed in Samaria and then confirmed in Judea and then confirmed in the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the way God started the church. And so these Judaizers have come in and they are telling the Galatians that they have to add something to the grace of God. That Christ did a lot of stuff on the cross, but he didn't do it all. You got to help him a little bit. You got to get circumcised. You got to follow the rituals. You have to come under the law of Moses and then you can be saved. Well, of course, that's, uh, that's not the New Testament gospel at all. We're saved from that. We're saved from the encumbrance of good work. As a matter of fact, Peter in his argument says something like this, if I can remember it correctly. He said, look, men, we're asking the Gentiles to do what we and our fathers hadn't even been able to do, namely follow the law of Moses. The thing is, a, the law of Moses only brings us under a curse. It doesn't bless us. It curses us. Paul says, I'm overwhelmed. I'm astounded. This is too much. I'm sitting down. My hand is over my heart. I'm breathing. My head is back and my eyes are looking up. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting their traitors, you see. It's a traitorous, treasonous thing. Deserting away from the one having called you in the grace of Christ. From the one, that's the father. The one who calls. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 8, whom he foreknew, he predestined, whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. That's the effectual call. This is God's call. We can't call ourselves. You know, well, 
uh, you know, I'm, 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 I want to be saved, but I'm going to have to go do something, and I'm going to call myself to be into salvation. You can't do that. From the one having called you in the grace of Christ. There's the word, grace. Then he says, to a different gospel. And the, 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 the in, the, there's an indefinite understanding of an indefinite article there. And then Paul, and then Paul hurries to add this. He says, actually, there's not another gospel. You've been, you've been called, you've been called into deception from the one deserting away from to a different gospel. Actually, there's not another gospel. Only there are some who are agitating you and are desiring to pervert, to twist, to blur the gospel of Christ. How is the gospel of Christ perverted? You add anything to the grace of God, anything, I don't care what it is. Paul asks them the question in chapter 3 and verse 2 of Galatians. He asks them something like this. He says, was it the law that brought you to the Holy Spirit? Or were you brought to the Holy Spirit by law or by the hearing of faith? Was it the word of God that brought you the Holy Spirit, that is, that saved you? Or was it the law? That's a good question. If you ask a born-again believer, they can, they can quickly say, I was saved by grace. I didn't do anything to be brought into my salvation. God did not carry me through a ritual. He didn't carry me through a, a, a certain kind of service. He didn't carry me through the water of baptism. He didn't carry me through a Lord's Supper. He didn't carry me through anything. Those things are wonderful ordinances for believers. But they are not prerequisites for faith. Those are works. And that's a wonderful thing. I want you to know when I, was, when I came forward, when the Lord called me and I, I came to my daddy who was my pastor... I had been, I had received Christ. My daddy prayed with me earlier in the week, the week before, and I came forward. I could not wait. I counted the days to be baptized. I was so happy. And in those days we had a tank, but it didn't have a heater. (laughs) So you really have to be for real if you're going to walk into a tank like that full of cold water. But I was so anxious to get into that water and to be baptized 10 years old, almost 11 years old. It was an important thing for me, but I have to tell you, if you would have stopped me Sunday evening after I came forward Sunday morning before I was baptized the next Sunday, and if you would have asked me if I'd been saved, I would say, yeah, God saved me. I believe in Jesus as my Savior. There are no works that one can pass through or one can perform to add to the completed work of Christ. Now, this was a problem in Galatia. They are perverting the gospel of Christ. We still have this today. The postmodern church, the the world in which we live... In this world where we live, in which we live, 
Much of the church finds it difficult to correct the errors that exist with regard to the gospel of Christ. We live in an age of tolerance in the church. We're slipping into the age of Laodicea, I fear. And away from Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, the church of world evangelism, we're moving from there, slipping, I'm afraid, into Laodicea, a lukewarm church. And in that, in that, in a lot of evangelical churches today, the key word is tolerance. We're, we're not going to stir the waters here. If he wants to believe it that way, it's all right. Well, here's why that's wrong. And here's why it was wrong for the churches in Galatia. It's not that those guys were going to be lost once they were saved. It is that they were going, they were going to accept a perverted gospel which cannot save. He makes that point in the next two verses. But even if we or an angel out of heaven should preach a gospel to you contrary to what we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. The word, of course, everybody is familiar with it, I guess. Anathema. That is a strong word. It's a curse word. It is to take one and devote him to God for the sake of damnation. That's strong. Today, I'm not going to say, my daddy get up out of his grave and whip me, but I will, I will abbreviate it. G-D-U. What it means to take someone to devote that person to God for God's damnation. That's what it means. Anathema. Now tell me, tell me in the spirit, Paul wasn't hot under the collar. To pervert the gospel of Christ, to stand in front of multitudes of people and tell them, you're going to have to do what Jesus said, but then you're going to have to do one more thing that I'm going to have to require of you. That's awful. Something that you can do to our blessed Lord's work for all that he suffered on Calvary and before crucifixion, even in his passion. How can you add anything to that? Now, there are. There are, of course, ordinances. There are commands of Christ. And frankly, I, I question a person's depth of, of commitment in his conversion if he rejects baptism. I, I question that I do. But I can tell you this, from the, time, from the time God calls him into salvation to the time that he walks through the waters of baptism, if he dropped dead of a heart attack between those times, I can tell you from all I can read in the scriptures, though I don't know the man's heart, I can say externally, everything that I don't know about him, he's saved. 
I know some who would take his dead corpse and drag him through the water to make sure. But that doesn't do anything at all for the work of God's salvation. Anybody, if an angel out of heaven, now an angel out of hell, you see how the Holy Spirit, it, it would be very easy. A demon would present another gospel. That's what Satan does. He's lost one generation of the church, but if that generation can just relax and become tolerant and admit these teachers who say, you know, I'm going to have to redefine the gospel a little bit for you. I'm going to have to redefine the word of God, the scripture. I'm going to have to redefine that a little bit uh, to make it more relevant to who you are and to the day in which we live. Here's what Paul says. Even if we somehow twisted ourselves and brought to you a contrary gospel. Let that person be turned over to God for God's condemnation. It is so heavy, the gospel of Christ. It is so simple and pure and it is so foundational. I know used to play a game. What was the game where you pull things out and if you something would finally fall. Was it sticks or something like that? Huh? Okay, there you go. You pull the wrong thing out and everything else just collapses. Well, that's the gospel of Christ. If you, there's only one gospel. If you don't get anything else out of the message today, get this. There is only one gospel, only one. And it is the gospel of the call of the Father to the grace of Christ, as he, said, as he said previously. The one having called you in the grace of Christ. That's the gospel. He calls you to Christ. He doesn't call you to Christ plus something. No. He doesn't call you to Christ plus the law of Moses. No. He doesn't call you to Christ plus ordinances. No. He calls you to the grace of of Christ. And that's it. Again, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And it comes to you in Scripture alone. I can't bring another tract to add. I can't, I can't bring another man's writings to add to that. It is just the blessed holy word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's a simple message. Come to Christ. And the way I see it, only God can draw people. I, I, you know, I've, I've seen preachers and evangelists been in their presence and they can, they can wrench your gut and rip your emotions apart during the invitation with stories. And so, listen, here it is. If the word of God is not powerful enough, I cannot add anything to that. I can't add a thing to it, not a thing. Here's the word of God. Here's the word of God and here's how the word of God says you are saved. Now, if that doesn't draw you by the power of Christ and his death, if the father doesn't work through that, he's not gonna work through something that I do or that anyone else does. So he says, 
as we have said before, and I say again now, you just don't see this in the New Testament. The same thing said again. I got to tell you this again. I can see the inspired apostle sitting there thinking, I'm going to say this again to you. And he just write, as we have said before, I say again now. He just said it. If anyone is preaching a gospel to you contrary to what you received, let him be anathema, anathema, anathema. Now there's another beautiful word, maranatha, but that's not, that's not the one. Anathema, that's a bad word. The apostle Paul Appointed by Christ, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this epistle, which has been included in the canon of Scripture, meaning that it is applicable to us today. There is only one gospel. And if anybody trivializes, distorts, perverts, blurs, does anything, tinkers with that gospel at all, May he be turned over to God. May he be devoted to God for his condemnation. There's no stronger language in the New Testament than the language used in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Galatians chapter 1. So it's a good time now. We're at home and thinking. It's a good time now to make sure that you're adjusted in your mind and heart to the only gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to close now with a word of prayer, but remember tonight uh, at six o'clock, we will, I'll have a continuing study in the revelation. Okay, let's pray. Father God, Oh, Lord, may we be armed with the only gospel. May we be true to the purity of it. Oh, Father, may we never be treasonous to the blessed gospel of grace. Grace. And may we preach it freely and often in the world where we live. Bless us now. Watch over our church body. Watch over our nation. Bless our leaders, Lord, in this very strange time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.